Hey everybody, I'm Tim Yuma, and you've ordered up Scrambled Eggs today on localjobnetwork.com radio. Scrambled Eggs is more of a laid-back, entertaining approach to the employment realm, trying to look at the world from a slightly different lens from time to time. Our topic today should hit home with most of our listeners in one way or another, as we'll be talking about the causes and effects of pretty much our obsessions with texting, Twitter, Google, Facebook, and yes, we may actually be designed to fall in love with these information superhighways. To help us gain an understanding about the different aspects of this topic, Susan Weinshank, PhD, is joining us. She's a behavioral psychologist with over 30 years experience that she's used to help some major clients, such as Walt Disney and the Mayo Clinic. Dr. Weinshank is also the founder of the aptly named Weinshank Institute. Susan, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Obviously, I gave a little bit of a rundown of what you do and and kind of your experience, but if you could maybe give us a little more detail of your past experiences and your expertise, particularly in this area of the brain. Well, I have a PhD in psychology, and I am always fascinated with what makes people do what they do. (laughs) And I've especially spent my career on how do we apply what we know about psychology and neuropsychology and brain science to problems and issues that we all deal with every day. And I'm particularly fascinated with what what we've talked about before, which is the impact that some of these special brain chemicals have on just our everyday behavior, and we may not even realize it. And, you know, our listeners are going to get kind of a, a dose of science, a dose of, uh, you know, real-world philosophy here with that. So um, hopefully they'll kind of appreciate the nuggets they get. So let's pretty much jump into the meat of the subject that, you know, obviously this type of thing does affect everyone for the most part in some way or another, even at work and in terms of productivity and that sort of thing. But just in general, why are people addicted to things like texting and tweeting and Facebook, those those sorts of information? Well, I don't know if most people realize that a lot of their reaction and their behavior is automatic right? and they don't have a lot of control over it. I think people have a feeling of, well, you know, this is the way the modern day world is, and this is just what I have to do as part of my job, and I'm a very good multitasker, and they have these uh, ideas about their behavior that actually aren't true. What happens is that there are certain uh, ways that the brain works that once you get started with tweeting and texting, you get stuck in what I call a a dopamine loop, and you kind of can't get out. And it's all because of the chemicals that are uh, going on in your brain. So what happens when you, you know, it seems very harmless, uh, you're sitting in front of your computer, and you get a little alert that an email has arrived, or you're sitting on the in a meeting and you get a little alert that a text has arrived. Well, you know, what's so strange about that? But what we now know is that there's a chemical in our brain called dopamine that is all about keeping us curious and interested and wanting more information. And when we get these little alerts and we check it out, that actually sends dopamine into our brain, which makes us want to check out the next message and the next message. And every time we get one of these alerts, every time we respond, every time we text back or uh, read the email, we're just 
getting into this loop where then more dopamine is released, which makes us want to check out more. And you really kind of get stuck in, in the cycle going round and round. It makes it very hard to just stop and focus on one thing. It's interesting you bring, I mean, with the idea of dopamine, because I think a lot of people have heard that probably whether they've been in high school or just, you know, you come across it with, with different things that you read. But to me, it's this idea of actually experiencing the pleasure versus seeking something out or anticipation. Isn't that where the difference is where people probably aren't exactly sure how dopamine works? I mean, from what I recall reading, dopamine is more about that, you know, finding that or seeking that pleasure, so to speak, and that results in other things. Do I have that kind of right? Well, you know, that's been uh, what I think a lot of people think dopamine is, is I mean, it, it has been called for many years, you know, the pleasure seeking chemical, mm. right? And it, and at first when scientists started researching it, that's what they noticed first. But we now know that dopamine is actually active in many, many uh, parts of our activity. Uh, it even has something to do with sleep. But the latest view of dopamine is that it's not so much about pleasure seeking as it is just seeking. It is the chemical in our brain that makes us want to go find more of anything, not just pleasure, but especially information. So is this something that in general can be controlled or something that can somehow be managed a little bit? I mean, we can get into details as far as that work and that kind of thing. But in general, is that seen as something that we can get a handle on either personally or with professional help? Well, it's not something that I think you need necessarily professional help for. Really, what you have to do is just stop the uh, cycle. <laughs> right. You have to stop seeking. When you realize that you're addicted in the sense, and I don't mean you know literally addicted, it's not the same as being addicted to heroin or cocaine. Okay. But when, when you feel like you just can't stop, responding to the messages, you've got to make yourself stop. And one of the things that I recommend that's pretty easy, but sometimes people have a hard time doing, is turn <laughs> off your alerts. You can change the settings of, on your phone, on your email, on your computer, so that you don't get a visual or auditory alert when a message comes in. And I think we're so used to having those alerts and we think they're so useful. And in fact, we're kind of addicted to them, if I can use that term <laughs> loosely, that the idea of turning them off, you know, people say, what? You know, no, then I won't know when I have these messages <laughs> coming in. And it's like, right, that's the point. Right. I mean, you can set aside certain times to check, right? But I think we've all had the experience of feeling guilty because we're someplace with our family or having lunch with a good friend and we just can't stop checking. And we, we are aware that our attention is divided. There's actually some new research out that shows that when a cell phone is just sitting on a table during a conversation, it, even though no one's using it and no one's touching it, but just the fact that when I sit down with you, I put my cell phone on the table, it prevents the uh, relationship from building between the two people. Hmm. I mean, that is fascinating. And I, I mean, I can definitely see where that would come into play. You mentioned about the alerts and, and turning those off um, because of just the you know, somewhat instant reaction to, oh, you know, I got something, I want to check it. I believe you mentioned the article and I saw some other things too in terms of 
somewhat of a Pavlovian connection in terms of it's like it's a stimulant. Can you attest to that a little bit or talk about how maybe we are reactive instinct, reacting instinctively just as the research from Pavlov did, you know, way back in his day? Yeah. So um, Pavlov is is the, the Russian scientist who uh, first showed that you can have a response to one stimulus um, and he originally worked with dogs, as, as some, pe- some people may know. So what he would do is uh, he, he actually discovered this by chance. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not what he was studying initially. But if you brought in food, th- he worked with dogs. The dogs would salivate as soon as they saw the food before they had even tasted it. And then he noticed that they would start salivating just when they heard the footsteps of the researcher or heard the bell over the door uh, as the researcher opened the door, and that would start the salivation. So the idea is that you can become conditioned to uh, respond to uh, uh, one stimulus in a certain way. And what we find about this kind of conditioning is that if you don't know when the stimulus is going to happen, so think about these alerts, right? right? If the alerts are unpredictable, which that's what all these alerts are, right? You don't know exactly when that your, your cell phone is going to buzz because you have a text coming in. If they're unpredictable and if they're short, that tends to really exacerbate the whole addiction idea and the whole reaction. So those are some of the other things about the kinds of uh, alerts our technology gives us that tends to make it even more addicting. And that's what you talked about too, is just even those short, I mean, the fact that they are short, you know, Twitter being 140 characters and texts obviously are, are generally limited, that that actually fuels it even more where we wouldn't necessarily be as consumed by it if we were getting, you know, long emails or long... Right. Long right. type of articles. Yeah, right. I mean, if you if when you glanced at your phone, there was a page full of text, you would not be as likely to go read it right away. Right. Mm-hmm. You'd know. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to read all that now. <laughs> the fact that it's short, the fact that it's unpredictable, and then the other thing that we know from from uh, Pavlov and and other research like that is the auditory or visual cues: mm-hmm. the blink, the flash, the beep the buzz, the sound, <laughs> those also are what helps condition our response. So what role does it play then in terms of, I mean, you know, you said people bring up like it's just the world we live in, all that kind of stuff, because I, I would believe there has to be some sort of conditioning with that. When I was actually teaching, we talked about that because reading versus all the video games kids have, and there's this instant kind of um, gratification and just in your face kind of thing. So when you try to really make it a long-term idea or these or books or long articles that attention-wise, it's just gone. I mean, does that play a large role in this whole idea of, of addiction to these short messages as well? Well, I'll tell you, I do not believe, and I have not seen research that supports the idea that people have shorter attention spans now than they did years ago. Hmm, interesting. We're talking about humans and psychology and the way their brains work, and that changes in in on an evolutionary time scale, <laughs> not a technology time scale. Mm. What is true is that there are much there's much more attention switching, task switching. And I'm purposely not using the word multitasking because 
the research also tells us that multitasking doesn't exist. You cannot do two things at once. You are task switching. So I think what has become, uh, what, what's different now than was perhaps previous, even, you know, 10, five years ago, is that we expect ourselves and we expect other people to do this task switching all the time. Uh, and what we know from the research on task switching is that um, it's very inefficient hmm. and you can lose up to 40, 50% of your efficiency in getting something done if you're constantly switching from one thing to another to another. So I actually think what's happened is that we've gotten stuck in this dopamine loop. We've talked ourselves into doing this tax, task switching and that, that that's required. And as a result, we are all more stressed and less efficient than we used to be. You know, obviously, it's important you bring that up, the, especially the idea of efficiency and stress, um, because as we relate this whole idea to work, how is this all, I mean, aside the fact, obviously, we're, we're thinking in terms of lowered production you know, is the overall scheme of things. But this topic, how is it negatively affecting people at work and, and how you can maybe see it affect them, if, whether it be efficiency or in other ways that mentally and physically it, it may actually be harming them or their company? I think efficiency is a, is a really big part of it. I mean, you, you just are not getting as much done as you, you could if you would, if you would focus mm -hmm. on one thing at a time. But the result of it also is that it's very exhausting. Hmm. It's very stressful. And I think that the feeling that many of us have at the end of the day uh, where we're just so tired is uh, I think we are more tired now than we were years ago when we didn't do all this task switching, when we didn't have all the dopamine loops. I think it's stressful, and I think it's it's exhausting. And um, so, in the in the long term, it it really can affect your uh, physical and mental health, and and your relationships with people. Because, of course, what happens is you're exhausted and you're tired at work. You're not going to be able to communicate as well and have as good relationship at work. And then you come home and you're exhausted and tired at home. And it's going to affect your relationship with your family as well. Would you say then that this type of thing should be or is a, a major concern for, I mean, especially people, you would argue, in an office setting where not only do they have their phones available, but the computers you know, at the ready and they're even using those computers to you know, help in some cases. Is this maybe one of the bigger challenges that should be focused on at this point? I think it's a huge challenge. And I think, unfortunately, it's so much a part of our work culture that in some way, I mean, in some ways, it's very easy to change, right? Mm -hmm. Just turn off the alerts, change the way you work, focus on one thing at a time. I mean, it's not that hard, right? But on the other hand, it is so expected at work right. that I think it's hard if you decide you're going to change, you know, and everyone around you isn't changing, I think there's a lot of pressure to do what everybody else is doing. I, th I think it, it's, it's a huge, important issue that is, as far as I can tell, is really not being addressed by, for instance, companies in the workplace. I, I think everyone just either feels that, oh, it's not that big a deal or it's a good thing to have all this, all this uh, multitasking going on, mm -hmm. 
or uh, oh well you know there's no way we'll ever stop doing this so then i mean aside from you know company policies to you know turn off your computers or at least turn off those alerts and stuff like that i mean are there little things that people can do individually to at least limit those effects or make them less harmful so to speak in that you know maybe they can't turn off their alerts or they can't turn off all of those type of things but there's something else they can do to focus their attention elsewhere or just to not worry about that side of it so much. Because obviously for this, we almost have to look at it at a personal level right now. Because as you said, companies aren't necessarily looking at this as an issue because of, you know, accessibility to, to clients or to you know, coworkers or to information in general. So, I mean, what little things could, for instance, I do personally, if I feel, gosh, I just can't get away from or get out of this type of loop. Yeah, there really are. I mean, the good news is that there's some new research, and uh, I'm working on my next book right now, which is called How to Get People to Do Stuff. And I have a chapter in there about the new research on habits, which is, I think, some of the exciting, most exciting psychology uh, research to come along. Because we all have the idea that, you know, habits are Oh, it's so hard to change habits, right? Think about how hard it is to get yourself to exercise every day. But actually, um, some habits are very easy to change if you use the science of your brain to change them. Hmm. So uh, what you can do is, what, what you have to do if you want to change this, is you have to change your own information-seeking habits, uh, you have to be vigilant for, you know, uh, honestly, it just takes a couple of days and you can switch this all around. So what you have to do is decide I, I'm going to change it. Even if everyone around me is still a dopamine, I'm going to change what I'm doing. And uh, to do that, the first thing I suggest really is what I call a recalibration. Okay. So if you turned off all of your devices, you did not, if you didn't use a computer, didn't go on the internet, and didn't use your cell phone for a day or two days. And the, the best way to do this, if you have to, is go somewhere where you don't have cell phones. Right. Service. I was going to say, you know, people are thinking right now, you're insane. There's no way I could do that. But yeah, just go uh, head up north somewhere. Or... Yeah. I mean, it's hard if you live in a real urban area and there's no place that, that doesn't have service. So in that case, I actually told someone once, I said, take your laptop, put it on a very tall shelf <laughs> that you need a ladder to get to, and then put the ladder in it, you know, outside, uh, just just to stop for one day, because uh, that that will start to break the loops, and that will remind you what it feels like to do one thing at a time and not be in the dopamine loop, and so that's one thing that could be very helpful. And then you just need to start to uh, monitor for a day or two your own behavior and set up new rules for yourself. You'll uh, For the first couple of days, you have to have rules. You know, For right. instance, I'm going to check my email at work three times a day. I'm going to check it in, at nine in the morning, noon, and three in the afternoon. And otherwise, I'm not going to be on email. I'm going to turn um, off my cell phone and I'm going to turn it on, you know, at these particular times and check messages. And so you start with those rules to force you. At, but then what will happen is that can can easily become your new habit. Now, the trick is, and I mentioned about the science of habits, mm -hmm. the best way to do this is to anchor it to an existing habit. 
Hmm. Okay, to take something that you already do. So let's say you come into work every morning and you get a cup of coffee. Right. That's what you do. So what you want to do is you want to go into work, get a cup of coffee, turn off your email. All right, you anchor this new thing that you're trying to do to the existing habit you already have. And if you do that, it's it's actually very easy to change your habits. And it, and it all has to do with just the, the way the brain works. And we have, I mean, probably 75% or more of everything you do in a day is habit. Hmm. So it's just, if you can anchor to an existing habit, you can just start to change your behavior automatically. It's actually quite effortless. Now with people though, let's say there is a, you know, restriction at work where you're not supposed to, you know, not doing this stuff, not on your phone, not on Twitter, that kind of stuff. But they, they are still feeling that sort of, again, loosely saying addiction to it. Is it like another, like a, a true addiction, so to speak, where then they get home and there's this pent up, built up kind of thing that they have to get over? Or, I mean, is it is it not quite work that same way? Would that actually help them break any habits? I guess, how does that work in terms of, you know, them wanting that information, wanting those alerts, but at work they at least have enough control where they're not doing that sort of thing? No, I, there really isn't that kind of pent up. Okay. So it, what you would have to do, of course, is then uh, set up rules for home, right? right. And mm-hmm. anchor to have home habits as well. But it's not as though if I... If I uh, reduce the amount of time I'm checking my text messages at work, then that means once I get home, I'll want to do it, you know, five times more. So, no, you don't have to worry about that. So, I mean, is that one of the ways that it is different than like, you know, say like alcoholism or something that affect where you don't have, you have a need, so to speak, but maybe not like that? Yeah, it's not, it's not, um, it's because it's a, it's a much more temporary, you know, the dopamine comes through your system. And within a matter of minutes, it's gone. Hmm. So if you if you keep seeking, then it comes again, right? And then it comes again, and it comes again. But if you turn it off for a couple of hours, you know, it's just not there. It would it requires then a, more of the same to get it back building. So yeah, it doesn't have that that same kind of uh, long term craving. Now you did mention you know in the article and everything about. Dopamine does exist for a reason, positively too. And so, in, ter- in terms of at work, how does that? How would that be a positive, so to speak? Yeah, I don't. I don't mean to imply that dopamine is a horrible right. brain chemical. It's a critical brain chemical. Uh, I mean, we would not survive without it. And it does wonderful things for us. It makes us curious. It makes us want to go find out more. And th- and those are all you know great things for work, uh, as well as our personal life. It, it's just a matter of uh, overstimulation. So is this an area then where people can be trained, so to speak? And I know you talk about the little things that we could do, you know, take those couple days just away from all that. But like if you're thinking of from a company's perspective or, um, you know, maybe just like a group thing, is there a certain training that could go into it? Or does it really take that one, two days of cutting yourself off so that you realize yeah, I don't need this, so to speak? No, I think, I mean, I think the cutting yourself off, the recalibration, as I call it, Mm. I think that's very useful. I don't think that's necessary. So definitely, you know, and I I think it would be very helpful as a group. If you have a team, for instance, that you work with at work, and and if you uh, can set some rules and guidelines for when you're meeting together, 
you know, if at meetings people don't bring laptops or the lap, you know, the, the laptops, the covers go down, the cell phones go off. And we all agree that for the next two hours, we're going to have our meeting on, you know, this topic. And the only people that will be on the laptops are the people who are presenting and we need to look something up. I, I think to do it together like that would be extremely helpful uh, because it, it would, you know, it's it's like if you're a smoker and you're in a, and you're trying to quit and you're in a room full of people who are smoking, mm-hmm. right? It's hard to quit. Right. And uh, I think in a similar way, if you had other people around you that were also doing this, you change then the norm of of how everyone's supposed to behave. So we've talked about a lot of different areas, obviously, and um, got into the brain uh, a part of it, and also just the real world ideas. With your knowledge and experience in this area just as a whole, I mean, do you have any, you know, big one or two pieces of advice that you would be able to give people in general regarding this idea? And again, we're speaking in generalities because everybody has their own situations that they may be working on. But I mean, what what could you just give maybe as a, as a general rule of thumb at work, especially um, dealing with this type of thing? I think I would say to people, uh, first of all, Try doing something different and just see how it feels because I think that you need that personal experience of how uh, more focused you are, how less stressed you are. So just like try it. Just try stopping the dopamine loop for you personally for a day or two or even just a couple of hours Mm -hmm. and see what kind of effect it has. I think that people would be um, shocked and pleasantly surprised about how much better they feel and how much more effective they are and how much more they get done if they would give it a try. So just, and, and the other thing I would say is try something very small. Like I'm not saying you have to stop everything. Just try changing the alerts on your emails. Just try that. Just try setting up your email so that when a message comes in, it doesn't make a noise and it doesn't flash on your screen. Just that's one setting. Just try that for a day or two. See what you think. So I think people can start small in terms of making these changes. And I mean, that, obviously, that's a great idea, starting small, because I think even that part for a lot of people, you know, in their mind, it's like that I, I don't even know if I can do that, you know. So I, I think, I mean, and it's just, you know, people say it's the world we live in or whatever, but just from my experiences, I'm sure you've seen that too. But, um, you know, clearly starting small is the way to go. And maybe they work up to that two-day uh, hiatus in the woods somewhere where they can't access any of that stuff. <laughs> That will just about do it for us here on Scrambled Eggs, which, of course, is a part of localjobnetwork.com radio. Our expert guest today has been behavioral psychologist Susan Weinshank. Thanks once again, Susan, for your insights today. Um, is there any place that people can see your work or find out more about you? Yeah, they can. Uh, I, I'll give you a couple suggestions. One is that I have a new blog I'm writing. I'm a regular blogger now at Psychology Today on the topic of work. And so if they go to Psychology Today and and, uh, look up uh, my blog, which is called uh, BrainWise, they can get more information on this type of thing. And then they can also go to uh, my website, which is theteamw.com, 
and get lots more information about my blog, my blog there I've had for many years and uh, videos and everything else. So theteamw.com. Great. Well, thanks again for coming on with us today, Susan. Thank you. And uh, yes, Psychology Today, I, I would recommend that. My wife and I have uh, have read the magazines and, and been online. So I definitely recommend that for all, all you listeners out there. It's very a lot of real world uh, relations to the psychology aspect. And as well for all you listeners, if you please send us your comments and ideas to our show, email those to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You've been locked on to Scrambled Eggs. I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.